and he scores! Oh, what a play by Travis Konechny! Bounces to the line, kept in, Katerian, he scores! Can you believe it? Sean Katerian! Welcome to another edition of Flyer Buzz, here on Flyers Radio 24-7. Here's Brian Smith and Bill Melzer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first off-season edition of Flyer Buzz here on Flyers Radio 24-7 and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. I'm Brian Smith along with Bill Meltzer, and we hope you all have been enjoying your summer so far and perhaps enjoying watching the Stanley Cup playoffs and especially the Stanley Cup final, which is now over and done, and it's time to look ahead to the 2019-2020 season officially around the National Hockey League as uh, the draft is coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about that today and uh, talk about some of the things that have gone on for the Flyers so far in this offseason as uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of movement on the roster front, but it's still been a very eventful offseason for the Flyers already, and there is uh, no doubt more to come as we... uh, uh, again, uh, record this podcast on uh, the Thursday following the end of the Stanley Cup final. Who knows how long it will be before we're dated here, but uh, you know that's the uh, perspective we're dealing with. And we're going to start with that Cup final, which of course goes to the St. Louis Blues in seven games as uh, that team just uh, continued to defy the odds and play much, much better on the road than it did at home. And that ended up being their saving grace as they pick up the Game 7 win over the Boston Bruins and a lot of familiar faces uh, able to lift some hardware as a result of that with, of course, Craig Berube having been the head coach of this team since about halfway through last season. Braden Shen was there. Uh, Patrick Maroon, the uh, former Phantom uh, Flyers prospect, never played for the Flyers himself but was in the organization for a couple of years. And Michael Delzato, believe it or not, uh, is uh, also part of this. He Never played for the Blues. Uh, I'm not sure at all, did he? Seven regular <laughs> season games, yeah, but couple, no playoff uh, games. Before yeah. he came, uh, uh, Delhi uh, uh, bounced from team to team in the uh, last season and ended up on the right one, uh, but still <laughs> enjoying the experience as one of the extra defensemen uh, that the Blues had on their roster. I guess let's start in general, Bill, uh, with this cup final, which was obviously very entertaining. A lot of good hockey played in this one, and uh, uh, you know, it's got to swing one way or the other. Uh, the uh, Blues came out on top. Bruins definitely had uh, rights to be there as well. But uh, give us your overall thoughts on the final itself and how things played out. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a funny series. You know, after after Game Six, I mean, um, and even the, even the first period of, of Game Seven, um, you know, sometimes I mean, goaltending really was Bennington in that first period in, in Game Seven last night, and he was he was sensational. For St. Louis to go off leading two nothing after they got dominated in that first period, you knew that had to bode well for the Blues. Honestly, when uh, he made the, I'm trying to remember, was he made two saves in a row? I'm not in the third period because after the second period was a solid one for for St. Louis. In the third period, Boston made their early push, um, and Biddington made these back to back saves, and and you just you know. You just you just kind of you just kind of sends everything was snapping in place, and then, then there was the Shen goal, and I mean the rest of it, you know, was already pretty much pretty much sealed the deal. Um, you know, I, it's funny, it's funny in, in, in a lot of ways. Well, first of all, congratulations to Craig Berube. Um, you know, couldn't happen to a to a nicer guy, and and, and really a you know tremendous hockey person, but also just a tremendous person in general. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for Chief. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's been such a long haul for the Blues. Um, you know, I mean, they came into the league the same time the Flyers did. They haven't 
been to a final since 1970. You know, it was it was it was time for them, and I, and, I, and I'm thrilled for them. Um, you know, the the biggest takeaway I have from the finals and the playoffs in general are just the unpredictability uh, of the sport. You know, last spring, Bennington was with the Providence Bruins, and anyone who was in uh, who was at the PPL Center in the in the deciding game probably remembers that Bennington blew sky high in that game and just com- completely lost his composure. He he, uh, I mean, his final act of the season was he he attacked Denique Martel. You know, smallest guy on the ice, and he he sat the rest of the game. You know, now a year later, he's uh, you know he's in the NHL. I mean, he just set a uh, playoff record for rookies that can only be matched; it can't be beaten since since he can't win more than sixteen. Um, you know, and just I mean, he made his debut against the Flyers, of course, with a, with a shutout. Um, just just the way that he played. You know, I don't I don't know how he'll duplicate it in future years. We'll see. But this this is a spring where. Every favored team, including the the runaway uh, President's Trophy winner, you know they're out in the first round. Yeah, and uh, you know, and you look at the progression of the playoffs, where you know it was it was, it was kind of funny, where the Islanders sweep the Penguins, and then the Islanders get swept by the Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes get swept by the Bruins. I'd, I've never seen that, you know, and it's just uh, I mean, it real what it really does tell you is it, truly you get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know. For all the analytics out there and people looking for things that indicate what's going to happen, the only thing that seems to be happening every game almost in this league right now is that uh, you know you come out and one team has a, a really solid first period. Generally, the other team has the really Push solid the second, second period. period. Yep. And then a lot of times it flows back to the first team in the third. And that's what kind of struck me on in Game 7 was that the Blues – were outplayed in the first period no of the game, but led to nothing anyway. And to me, once that happened, that kind of cemented their fate because if the Blues had outplayed the Bruins in that first period, led to nothing, and you know you had a wave coming back the other way. But the uh, they they kind of bounced back a little on their own, played a better second period, and then in that third period, uh, Jordan Bennington made a huge save near the halfway point right. when it was still two nothing. That goes in, and we're talking about a completely different circumstance. But that's. Uh, that's what goal. That's why goaltending gets you championships. Right. And I know we spent a lot of time here over the past, uh, or over the last um, half of the regular season, uh, because Jordan Bennington came up uh, to the NHL about three weeks after Carter Hart did, and as we watched Hart have his success, uh, we were also seeing Bennington kind of match it. So it's a bit of an interesting dynamic there for you. Um, you know, you, you said anything can happen in the playoffs, and Flyers get in this year. Who's to say Carter Hart doesn't go on a run like that? But I think that. What we saw in the final can even give the Flyers fans more hope. Not to put any pressure on Carter Hart, but uh, you know that that you can uh, ride a a young, talented goaltender pretty far in this league, and you know, hopefully for the Flyers, that's what's ahead. Oh, absolutely, and I mean that uh, that is the one constant is that uh, you know if you if you get the goaltending and listen, I mean you know Tuka Rask took the took the Bruins to a game seven too. Rask was tremendous through the playoffs. You know, game seven he was. He was fine. He was okay. It wasn't wasn't his best night, but goaltending was a, was a huge part of it, and, it, and it's always going to be a huge part of it. The Flyers would not have made a run kind of as close to the cusp of the the playoff race as they got, you know, if not for Carter Hart. I mean, it, it, that is the that is the one constant. Uh, I I don't think that uh, you know as long as he's healthy, I, I don't think there's going to be a sophomore slump with Hart or anything like that. I think he's I think he's the real deal. No, the only time will tell on that. But I mean, I do think that uh, 
you know i mean the, to have a to have a a goaltender potentially of that caliber does is something that bodes well and you know every spring you, you again you never know so our congratulations to the St. Louis Blues organization. A lot of hockey lifers in that uh, in that uh, organization. Um, a lot of blues lifers in that organization that have been around for many many years, especially on the on the broadcast side. People we work with on uh, a yearly basis: Chris Kerber, John Kelly, guys that have been with that team for years and years and years and haven't gotten to this point. Larry Robinson did win his tenth Stanley Cup, so uh, great for him as well. <laughs> but, uh, that's uh, certainly an accomplishment. But um, yeah, there's uh, a lot of uh, familiar faces on that ice last night. If you're watching at home and are around the game, uh, as much as uh, Bill and I are fortunate to be enough uh, or be around it, um, you get to see some of that. So uh, Jamie Horan was the Second person to grab the Conn Smythe Trophy. That's kind of my personal game is I like to see who gets that one second because everybody makes a big deal about who gets the cup second and usually the person who gets the Conn Smythe Trophy second works for the NHL yes. in some capacity. <laughs> so. Uh, so we will move on to what the Flyers offseason has been so far this uh, summer and obviously it has been an eventful one as uh, the last time we uh, had one of these uh, podcasts, the regular season was winding down and scott gordon was uh, of course the interim coach of the team and had done a, a very very good job in that role uh, but it remained to be seen what the flyers were going to do with the head coaching position and of course in late april they brought in elaine Vigneault as the head coach of this team a guy that has uh, done everything but win a stanley cup in this league he's got uh, uh, probably uh, the most impressive credentials of anybody who was available to the flyers so uh, chuck fletcher made that move to, to bring him in, and we'll start there. Uh, and Bill, I know you've had a chance to write about this and uh, talk with some of the principals behind this move. Uh, you know, We haven't discussed it in this format, so just give us your thoughts on, on Elaine Vigneault on that hire and what he will bring to this organization. Well, you, you, know, you start by looking at his track record of success, um, you know, even, even going all the way back to when he was with Montreal. Because they had a they had a uh, surprise run with him, um, you know, early on in his tenure there, um, he had a tremendous success in Vancouver. Got them, you know, as close as they've ever gotten to a Stanley Cup, and he had a lot of success with the Rangers as well. Now, you know, changing uh, changing venues, moving on to to another team doesn't always guarantee success. Um, but I think that uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a Prior to Vino being hired, um, Chuck Fletcher and also, uh, quite frankly, Scott Gordon was talking about a way that the team needs to play to be successful. Well, you you can look at uh, Vino's uh, teams, particularly with particularly Vancouver, but also his first year or two with the Rangers. You know, they they played that kind of way that um, you know a very up tempo kind of style, but also a two hundred foot game, and uh, you know they had excellent goaltending as well. So. Um, I, you know, I think that the elements of what they were looking for was a good match. Um, certainly the experience level, uh, of Fenella Vigno is something that, uh, you know, is, is tremendous. And also, I mean, he's brought in, you couldn't, it, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how the pendulum swings in hockey sometimes when, when Dave Haxtell came in, you know, uh, everybody, you know, nobody on staff had had, had ever been an NHL level head coach. You know, the guys had a lot of uh, assistant coaching experience, but there had never been, there was no guy on staff who had been an NHL head coach. Well, now there's three, you know, and, and with significant levels of experience. One of, you know, so I think that it's, uh, 
you know, I, I do think that it's if the team falls short, it's not going to be a coaching issue. I I don't think it was a coaching issue before necessarily, but I do think that uh, you know, I do think that at least the resumes of the of the people that are coming in, you know, suggest that uh, you know the team the team should be should play within a structure should be able to play an up tempo kind of a game that that you need to play in today's game and also and also you need to be able to grind a little bit too I mean you saw in the playoffs you know some size still matters in the game as long as it, it's skilled size so I do think that uh, you know I think as long as the you have the right mix of players for those coaches I mean I, I do think that the the coaching element is there. We'll touch on the assistants more in a moment. I will mention this to your point uh, a moment ago about the head coaching experience. 2,512 games right. of head coaching experience between these three men. Um, and, uh, in particular, uh, Michelle Terrian and Mike Eo have worked together before. Um, so there's a lot of familiarity between these guys, and, and we will get to that more in just a moment. wanted to touch on, on Vigno, though, real quick in that um, again, uh, mentioned a minute ago, he's done almost everything but win the Stanley Cup. He's got Jack Adams Award. He's got Jack President's Adams finalists. Trophies, uh, he's got President's Trophies. Um, he's to to me the thing that um, sticks out though is you know regardless of how many championships you have, the, this is the hardest trophy in sports to win, as we all know uh, that that are on the inside. Um, and you meant we were talking about it a minute ago. You know, just get in, and anything can happen. Right. And uh, just to get to the final, uh, to me, um, you know, gives you you know a fifty-fifty shot at that point of of getting in, unless you're in a a scenario. You know, we don't even get these scenarios anymore because there's so much parity in the game. But I, I, I've always harkened back to 2004 when the Flyers lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, in many people's mind, and in kind of reality. That Eastern Conference Final was more or less the Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup Final, final. Yeah. because uh, the you know you kind of knew the winner was going to have the inside track on uh, on on the the Cup yeah, Final yeah. there. Um, but uh, we don't get that that much anymore. We get a lot of situations where, um, regardless of who's in the final, you're looking at two very solid teams um, that uh, that anybody can win on any given night. So just the fact that Vigneault has shown that he can get there, um, and a lot of people look at playoff records and they only focus on championships as playoff success well you know having gotten uh teams to the stanley cup final twice two different organizations i think bodes really well for what he can bring here two yeah two stanley cup finals and also you know conference conference finals as well you know he's had a he has a very high winning percentage in the playoffs and as you said it's not always uh you know people do look at the championships ultimately it's it's funny you know, if you look, you, you, a good trivia question to ask somebody, just to just underscore this point, is which Flyers coach has the highest playoff winning percentage? And everybody would go to Fred Shearer or Mike Keenan. You know, um, Shearer, of course, three straight cup finals, winning the cup twice, and Keenan getting the team to the finals twice. But it's neither of them. It's actually Terry Murray, who had the highest winning percentage in playoff games. Um, you know, and, and you don't, again, you, in the playoffs, you look at how far do you get? Do you do win at all in the regular season? You're looking at points and winning percentages and those kind of things too. Um, you know, what, what I'll say also is that you need a lot of resiliency uh, as a team, but also as a coaching staff too, because if you believe in what you're doing, there are always going to be the ebbs and flows. And even when the playoff series, I mean, look at, uh, look at game six 
of, of, of the finals. And, um, you know, it would have been, it would have been, uh, very easy for St. Louis, especially the, with Boston through with them early in the first period in Game Seven to kind of you know, you know, the almost to almost to self destruct at that point, you know, and just they stayed with it, and just to have a you know just to have you you need that constant buy in from you know from your players. One of the hardest things to do in hockey, you know, is. Uh, you can make you can make that run, but to sustain that kind of momentum with we're you know again using the Blues especially as, in yeah. this day and age. Oh, know. absolutely, absolutely, and if, from where the Blues started from, you know, dead last at the NHL on January third, just to make the playoffs is is remarkable. And teams have made big runs in the second half and and gotten in the playoffs, but then to sustain that all the way through the finals that that's unbelievable, and that and that absolutely re- does reflect on. The personality of a coach, you know, to have players kind of stick with the program when you go through the those ups and downs. And Vigneault does have a track record of, you know, being able to do that with his players. So moving on to the other folks coming in, Mike Eo and Michelle Terrian are coming in as assistant coaches, um, uh, both of which had been uh, head coaches recently in the NHL. In fact, Mike Eo was uh, the head coach of the St. Louis Blues at the start of this season. Yes. Um, so uh, he is uh, he is in uh, – Terrian had been – out of coaching for I believe about a year and a half, um, uh, but uh, obviously staying active in the game and, and all that. So he comes back in, and uh, you know, a lot of there was a lot of clamoring about um, you know who left, and, and you know a lot of fans looking at Ian Laperriere and thinking, well, the penalty kill wasn't great. Uh, uh, why are we are we keeping him? But he's going to a new role. He's going back to a role that he had when he first became an assistant coach. He'll be in the press box. He'll be overseeing things from from up there, relaying information down to the to the bench, to the video coaching staff, uh, things like that. And so it will really be a completely new setup here uh for the Philadelphia Flyers next season with obviously three new bench coaches um and uh you know, Terry and Neo taking uh the uh penalty kill and the power play and all the special teams over running the defense, things like that. So I, I couldn't tell you the last time I can recall that there was a complete um, turnover like this. And the closest thing that pops to mind was when, um, when Peter Laviolette came in in uh, December of 2010 and brought Kevin McCarthy right. with him. Um, you know, the, the Flyers did make some other changes uh, when, uh, when, when Dave Haxtell was released in December, but uh Nothing on the level of that, I don't think. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be a fresh start, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see, um, you know, what Elaine Vigneault has to work with, what these guys have to work with in terms of the roster. Um, Chuck Fletcher came in in December and really was kind of presented with an opportunity to evaluate this team over more than half a season, and now that the season is over, he has – almost a blank slate he can do whatever he wants i mean you, there's certain guys that are untouchable obviously uh, guys with big contracts that would be hard to move but you've got he's got cap space he's got prospects and he's got a boatload of draft picks nine at the moment after the kevin hayes deal um, so he can do whatever he wants almost i think he can build a team that uh that, that will play you know elaine Vigneault's style he can build a team that uh you know, might be uh, a lot different than the one we saw here over the uh, last couple of years. And that's the one thing to me. It's like the one thing the Flyers need to figure out how to do under Lane Vigneault is not have to 
race to catch up right. you know at, at, at the at the midpoint point of the season or something like that but uh you know from what we know right now the roster could be so different that they may not be in that situation yeah and that that's just it i mean the team could look significantly different than it does right now and of course there's also the x factor of having um having so many first time restricted free agents that are that are in the mix that to some extent uh you know uh you know how how much does that how much does that weigh into what the summertime plan is where you know you might want to move a guy um you know what what chuck described with the restricted free agent market and it's not just what the flyers are going through he said basically you know guys are sitting around and waiting agents gms you know flyers to see who makes the first who takes the first step and who sets the market um you know and so these things can sometimes drag on through the summer i know fans frequently get impatient okay when is you know when is ivan provorov going to be signed when is sandheim going to be signed when is connecty going to be signed well i mean a, a market kind of has to be set on those guys and, and something you know will, will snap into place you know i don't i don't think there'd be any cause for concern until you get you know until you get into late august around labor day if they're still unsigned then then you start to get a little concerned about uh you know Okay, or, or you know, they're going to miss any of camp, that kind of thing. But I, I, you know, these things do tend to take time sometimes over the summer. Um, you know, I, and whether it's a long term or a bridge contract or, or whatever, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, but I do think overall, you know, there there is leeway to because you you do have assets you can move if you're looking for trades. You know, there's money to spend on the free agent market if you want to look for, you know, if you want to add. Add some speed here, there, a penalty killing guy there to the bottom six, or, or whatever, whatever you're looking to do. You basically, you, know, you basically can do if you're looking to uh, make a change in the blue line, which would not surprise me. Incidentally, I, I do think that you may see a, you know, a, a veteran defenseman, not an end of his career veteran, but a, you know, but a veteran is later twenties come in. That wouldn't that wouldn't be a surprise, or even in the early thirties. Um, so Chuck can can kind of shape it as as he wants. Now that being said. You know, it's a rare off season when you come in with a shopping list where you get everything on your shopping list. I mean, you, you know, you can't twist arms and get people to to come who you'd like, who have, you know, maybe they have a situation somewhere else. And then you get to a a point where, okay, are we making a, are we making a change for its own sake or are we actually moving forward? But I do expect, you know, I, I would not be at all surprised anyway, should I say that if at least three or four spots on the opening night roster, uh, encompassing both forward and blue line, and Flyers also have to figure out, you know, who's going to be other goaltender as well. Um, but I, I, I would not be surprised at all if there's multiple changes beyond just attempting to sign Kevin Hayes. So getting on to Kevin Hayes is that's the first thing that's happened so far in this roster uh, watch for the off season. The Flyers uh, acquired him from the Winnipeg Jets for a fifth round draft pick this year, so that knocked them down from ten picks to nine. Uh, the uh, the Flyers um, wanted a chance to get ahead of the game with Hayes. He was traded to Winnipeg at the deadline from the New York Rangers. He has familiarity with Elaine Vigneault. Um, he is a uh, uh, you know a candidate to fill the the second line center spot that the uh, Flyers have been long talked about uh, wanting to put somebody there just to take a little bit of the edge off of Nolan Patrick and not have to force his development. Um, you know, let him sit in the third line spot. So that's kind of the impetus there for that deal. Uh, reports are out there that he did come to Philadelphia to meet with uh, Chuck Fletcher and the organization overall. 
And so uh, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, but again, the, that was the, the goal was to get ahead of the game a little bit on the uh, chance to chat with him. Uh, the rules right now as they play out, of obviously free agency opens on July 1st, but um, teams can talk to players as of, I believe, the 24th, a week ahead of that. Uh, so this gave the Flyers, uh, with the deal coming down uh, last week, this gave them a good two weeks, two and a half weeks, more than that. Um, so, um, but what, what would uh, what would a guy like him bring to this roster? Uh, you know, you're looking for again, uh, you know, um, somebody to fill in your top six there, probably in that second line. Um, again, kind of make everybody else fit a little bit better into that picture overall. At least what the Flyers have right now. Right, and honestly, I think what you what you need in in today's game to be successful is not so much a designated second line, third line. It's more like a two A, two B. You know, um, like, um, honestly, I thought when, you know, for example, when when Nolan Patrick had his best stretch of the season, because he had a stretch of games, I believe he had about 13 points in 14 games. Well, that not very coincidentally coincided with uh, when Claude Giroux was moved back to center for a time and Sean Couturier moved to a line with, uh, with Lindblom and, and uh, Voracek, which was, you know, a, a successful trio together as well that's kind of when you saw Lindblom start to take off as well um you know I I think that uh that took that took a lot of pressure off of off of Nolan it got good matchups for him and it becomes a mutually beneficial thing you know you there there's Hayes who's a left-handed you know left-handed shooter there's um Patrick who's right-handed both are good pretty good two-way players you know uh is Kevin Hayes individually a huge impact player just as a by himself no but he's a useful piece you know if you, if you get 55 points out of him or, or thereabouts 50 points out of him the vicinity of 20 goals and and he plays solid two ways and uh you know then that gets patrick on they said the kind of the 2b line whether you know and then then as as streaks and slumps and whatever happened during the season you know, you can you can adjust that up and down a little maybe one slides up one slides down you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if it plays all plays out that way, and it might be, you know, a beneficial thing to both. Now that being said, there there are some other alternatives out there. There are you know names that might be out in the trade market if things don't work out with with Hayes. Um, you know, centers are centers do come at a premium. I know everybody will you know just the instantaneously second guess a contract, and but it's gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to pay in this market. That is just just the reality. Um, you know, uh, overpaying is a relative term, you know, there, there's a market value and, and uh, a player is what he can get on the market. So, you know, Kevin Hayes is going to get paid, whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere, it's going to be multi-year. It's going to be, you know, uh, it'd be a number that the flyers could fit in with, with the cap space that they have. But I do think that, 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 uh, you know, if they are able to strike a deal where you have the, you're able to go, you know, like uh, with one left-handed, one right-handed. You know, they, they can slide around a little bit. Um, Hayes has become a regular penalty killer. Actually, became that under Vino in New York. Um, so there is the familiarity there. Uh, he's a good playmaker. Not not necessarily a guy who loves to shoot the puck a lot, but he, you know, but he he can score. He has good hands. And um, so I think that uh, that that good all-around 200-foot game. Tell you what, Brian that. If you look at the potential depth down the middle with Couturier and then and then um, Hayes, Patrick, and then being able to use Scott Lawton as your fourth line center, 
and compare that to where the Flyers started last season with, and you know, all with all due respect to to Mikhail Vorobiev, you know, you're you know, or, or guys such as um, you know Corbin Knight and and um, you know and and Phil Veroni and all other guys who who played in the middle at different junctures. I mean, that's a pretty that's a more formidable one through four in the lineup. That's that's really what it would be. So we'll see where it takes us as, again, there uh, could be a lot more uh, dominoes to fall before this deal gets done, or it could get done before dominoes fall. We'll see what happens. But that takes us to the draft, which, of course, is coming up in uh, just over a week's time from when we're recording this. It's uh, up in Vancouver, and the uh, Flyers have, at the moment, nine picks in that draft, including the 11th overall selection. And uh, Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair met with the media earlier this week to talk a little bit about uh, what they're looking for and what the possibilities exist uh, in terms of uh, what the Flyers might do in Vancouver. What's your takeaway from uh, what uh, you heard from those guys? Uh, you know, the Flyers again have uh, this this eleventh pick and what is considered a, a decent draft. It's not uh, not the best, certainly not the worst, um, but um, looks like there's quality players available in there. Um, you know, what what are some of the names that might be in the Flyers? Uh, sites if they do uh, end up with uh, end up keeping that pick well there's the uh, big contingent of u.s national development team players uh the flyers last year because moment joel farabee from that program um gavin hayne who was picked much later in the draft but he's also a national team development player um just by the way the numbers and projections work out i wouldn't be surprised uh if you know if, if there is one of those players available now. Whether that's a, a small scoring winger like like Cole Caulfield, if he makes it to eleventh, um, and you know maybe enough teams look elsewhere, you know just 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 based on his size, I don't know. Um, at eleventh, maybe do take a swing for the fences. Um, Boldy is a uh, you know he's a he's a power forward type, but a very skilled power forward type. He's a guy that that might be there at eleven. Um, you know, they're. I mean, it's really it's an interesting draft because you have a variety of, of player profile types. You know, and and there's also a risk tolerance too. I mentioned Caulfield is a risk tolerance guy. Well, you know, uh, I would think that that uh, Alex Newhook, who tore up the the uh, BCHL, um, which is a junior A league in, in Canada. You know, it's not major junior, but there have been. Notable players that have come from that level, Jamie Ben being a being a prime example. Um, Kyle Turris was drafted out of there as the third overall pick in the draft. You know the how much risk tolerance you know are, are you willing to take on for for the higher upside? I, I think that um, one thing in in talking to to Brent Flair um, was just that there's a lot of you're going to be a lot of continuity between his drafting philosophy and, and his predecessor, uh, Chris Pryor. The, uh, the scouting staff is essentially the same. And then in part, that's because the, you know, the, what the flyers had their processes for amateur scouting and assessing for the draft. Well, there's a lot of continuity because, because flyer essentially has the same philosophy. So they're, they're going to go best available player. Uh, now whether that'll be a, you know, a center winger defenseman. There is a there is a very good goalie prospect this year too. Will probably go in the first round. Actually, another U.S. national team player, Spencer Knight. Uh, Brent indicated to me that the team is probably unlikely to go that way, just because uh, just because there is Carter Hart in the system, just because there are several other young goalies with a lot of promise in the system. 
Um, at some point, you know, at some point, some team might go for the goalie in the first round. And that's just about the only thing I could say with any certainty that I don't think that's where they're going. But, uh, you know, other than that, also, also actually come to think of it, um, it would not shock me if it was a defenseman only because there might be only one defenseman taken in the top 10. So whoever you have, you know, next on your list, if it's, if it's close and defense being a position that you're looking to restock in the system, you know, then maybe you do go for the defense because you might have your, your pick of all but one defenseman who's in the draft class. So, Well, we will see how it goes. We do plan on having live coverage of the draft for you on Flyers Radio 24-7. It is the 21st and 22nd of June, uh, Friday night into uh, Saturday morning. So as soon as we have those plans finalized, we'll have them for you on our Flyers Radio 24-7 Twitter account. PhiladelphiaFlyers.com will be the place for you to follow the entire draft proceedings, and we'll have uh, all the action for you, hopefully, as it happens. Uh, Again, uh, Friday night is the first round. That takes about three hours. Saturday is rounds two through seven. That takes about three hours <laughs> they uh, get the second day out of the way pretty quick um so uh but uh you know it could be could have nine draft picks at the end of this draft we could have an entirely new looking roster it is very going to be a very interesting weekend in flyerville so we hope to have you along with us for that coverage and then bill and i will be uh, back here on flyer buzz to recap the draft in that uh, last week of june the flyers will go right into development camp after the draft uh, we've got trial on the aisle coming up. Uh, the last week of June will have a lot going on in Flyerville, and uh, the free agency, of course, comes along July 1st. We'll touch real quick on alumni stuff. I know we have that uh, alumni golf outing coming up in that uh, that same time frame. It's actually the same day as trial on the aisle Correct. this year. But yep. uh, what are the old guys up to? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, congratulations to uh, three Flyers alumni. Um, Ed Van Imp was just selected for the uh, Saskatchewan Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, very well-deserved honor. Frankly, I was surprised he wasn't in it sooner. Um, but big congratulations to Ed. Um, uh, Freddie Meyer, people remember him from the you know, the first decade of the 2000s. Um, you know, made a nice little NHL career for him, himself, seven years in the league. Um, was won a Calder Cup with the Phantoms. And uh, he was just selected to the New Hampshire Hockey Hall of Fame. And also, uh, lastly, uh, big congratulations to uh, Reggie Leach, who got an honorary doctorate from Rock University. So, uh, you know, Reggie's Reggie's uh, degree really is at the University of Life, and uh, but just just the service that he brings and the caring. I mean, couldn't, again, as I said with with Craig Ruby with the Cup, couldn't happen for a better guy. All right. Well, we'll uh, continue to keep you up to speed on all this stuff as the summer goes on. But uh, after uh, about six weeks here of uh, things being a little quiet and the uh, NHL wrapping up the 2018-19 season, we're raring to go. And we're going to have a fun month coming up for you here on Flyers Radio 24-7 and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. So keep checking back with us as the Flyers start their preparations for the 2019-2020 season. For Bill Meltzer, I'm Brian Smith. We will talk to you from the NHL Draft coming up here in about a week. Thanks for joining us, and keep it right here with us at Flyers Radio 24-7 and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. The preceding program is an original production of Flyers Radio 24-7. You can find this and other programs available on demand at FlyersRadio247.com.